Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Now I'd like to give Kevin a massive welcome. Give a big welcome to Kevin and I'll let you know who he is. So Kevin uh, works for MAF, which is Mission Aviation Fellowship, and he has done for over 20 years. But his current role I'm going to tell you all about. So just really grateful that you're here today. Um, you. We're a supporter of MAF as a church. Um, we're a partner church. We've got stuff coming up. We've got a plane coming, haven't we, yeah, in June? Indeed. We've got a performance of yeah. Reckless. I'm sure you're going to say all this, aren't you? But um, I'm just going to let Kevin Thank you. get on. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, wow. Fabulous. It, it, it's true. When you sit at the front, when you visit a church, you sit at the front ten minutes before, there's hardly anyone here. You get up and speak, and the whole place is filled up. It's amazing. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Yes, um, my name's Kevin. Uh, although MAF, a head office is down in Folkestone, which is uh, not a million miles away from here, I actually um, live up in Wellingborough in Northamptonshire. And um, it sounds very grand, but it's not really very grand. But I look after the the department within MAF that actually works with churches and volunteers and conferences and exhibitions and all sorts of things. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Can I say first and foremost, thank you so much as a church for um, supporting the work of MAF um, and partnering with MAF in this way. And what I'd like to do this morning is, um, for those of you who are a little unsure what MAF does, uh, is to sort of give you a little bit of an update on, on the work of MAF. I've also got a, um, a word that I believe God has given me for us this morning as well. So we've got quite a lot to pack in in the next two hours. Um, but uh, apparently you've got inflatable football going on, so that keeps everyone occupied. Um, so this is just great. So it is wonderful to be here. Can I say also, before we get into things, that um, um, I have an amazing uh, privilege in serving God in the work that I do because it means I go from church to church and uh, completely diverse. A few weeks ago, I was in a high Anglican church. Next week, I'm down in Southampton in a Methodist church. Um, I'm here today. This last week, I've just been at uh, Spring Harvest in Howergate. Um, So it's wonderful, and it's a real privilege for me to be able to visit so many churches. Um, And can I say uh, that that worship was amazing? Uh, I don't know if you applaud your worship team, but can you applaud your worship team? Because... I, was, um, I can give you a lot of stories about worship, but we won't go there. But that really was, that was great. And so thank you uh, for that. We do have um, an airplane coming to your church uh, on the 16th of June. We have an aircraft coming. I'm slightly concerned about the potholes that are in the road outside um, for when it lands. But we'll worry... <laughs> We'll worry about that nearer the time. So the 16th of June, we have an aircraft come in with a flight simulator as well. Um, and uh, anyone who lands the flight simulator then immediately gets signed up and we ship them out uh, to <laughs> South Sudan. So, um, ladies, if you want to get rid of your husbands, get them practising now. And we'll take them, uh, take them off your hands 
for you. And also we have a, um, a, a theatre production coming with uh, Full Fun Theatre Company, who you may or may not have heard about Christian Theatre Company doing a, a production of Reckless Abandon on the 22nd of June, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, later on. Before I get in uh, to think just one final piece of housekeeping, otherwise I always forget this and then I, uh, I always get into trouble at the end. Um, if at the end of today you, uh, you would like to know more about the work of MAF, um, you would like to sort of journey with us, we would love you to journey with us and we would love to share more information about the work of MAF. And I share this now because uh, uh, as we get into the word that God has given me, um, on the dis- little table out by the coffee area, there's some of these little um, tickets, begin your journey with us. And what we've, uh, what we've done, we've come up with a little journey the supporters can take. Um, f- within one year, we would like to send you five mailings, individually five mailings, on five different countries that MAF are working in. We're working with, give you some real prayer um, points to pray for, a little bit about the staff that are there and their families. Um, five mailings. We identified the fact that the, the people sign up to support missions or charities and to say, yes, I'd like to get more information. And then for the next 20, 30, 40 years, you're still getting stuff sent through. Um, so we, what we've done is we said five mailings one year, um, we will send you. Unless you say to us during that year, actually, I want to keep, keep getting this prayer prayer pack or, or some other information, then after that year, we will not trouble you again. We will not send you anything else. Um, but within that year, hopefully, you've got to know an awful lot more about MAF. So um, at the end of the meeting, over coffee, if you'd like, if you've been challenged this morning by anything about it you've heard and you'd like to sign up for a year, there's no charge, it just gives us something to send you. Um, for five communications, please go and fill out one of these slips and then I will give you a nice little booklet which will show you the destinations you're going to go to in the next year. Um, so I've done that bit now. Let's get on to the important thing and let's uh, read from God's Word. I've got to take my glasses. I haven't long been wearing glasses and uh, it takes a while to get used to them, doesn't it? See, now I've taken them off. I can't see anything out there. But... Unless I, uh, unless I take them off, I can't see anything down here, so I don't know. Anyone got any tips for me about wearing glasses? Very focused. Yeah, somebody said that before. But they're only the ones you've got to go like that all the time. Uh, Luke chapter 10. If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. A uh, very well-known portion of Scripture I'd like to share this morning, starting at verse 25. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May the Lord add his blessing to that portion of scripture. Oh, you're still there. Um, could we have the first slide up, please? On the, thanks. Um, the reason I um, share that portion of scripture is because it, it fits in so well with the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship. Those of you who don't know um, probably guessed something by those pictures MAF is about flying small aircraft into developing countries. And here in this portion of scripture, we have a vulnerable person. We have a man who's, who's been beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And along comes a good Samaritan and offers him three things. Help, hope, to do. To offer help, hope and healing in Christ's name to the most vulnerable people in the world. Over 70 years ago... MAF started by two men in this country, Stuart King and Murray Kendon, having a vision from God. And that vision was that aviation aircraft should be used for the purposes of showing the love of God to a hurting world. And today, MAF has a fleet in excess of 130 aircraft flying in over 26 countries throughout the world. Every four minutes, an MAF plane lands or takes off somewhere in the world taking that help, hope, and healing. So you can see immediately the, differ, the, the similarities between the parable of the Good Samaritan, this vulnerable person, this man offering that, that help, showing that love, and the work of MAF around the world. But what difference do these small aircraft actually make? Well, You were right. You said point it anywhere. Uh, In Papua New Guinea, we're going to go around the world a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Brilliant. You weren't sure. Some of you weren't sure. I don't know if you thought I meant it, literally. but uh, um, We're going to go around. This is Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, one of the most challenging places that MAF fly in because of the weather, uh, because of the terrain, because of the valleys, the mountains. In Papua New Guinea, there is a community of 600 people living right in the middle of this picture. You can just see tiny little white dots, which are where the homes of these people are. 600 people in this community. 600 people that have the same needs that you have and I have. The same medical needs, the same spiritual needs, the same needs for food and water, love, exactly the same needs that you have. This community is five minutes 
uh, five miles, sorry, away from the next community in Papua New Guinea. Five miles is not a great distance to travel in this country. Um, you know, we can, we can cycle it. There's a lot of fit-looking people around here who probably walk it or run it. Uh, it doesn't take long to travel five miles in this country. To go from this community to the next community in Papua New Guinea, which is only five miles away, takes four days walking. The other thing to share is that in this community there is no medical help. There's a Baptist missionary doctor in the next community. So if you imagine a scenario where you wake up in this community in urgent medical need, you either have to be carried on a makeshift stretcher for four days over that terrain, or you wait for the doctor for four days to come to you. Until there was a tiny little airstrip right in the middle of that picture built, which means that we can now fly one of these small aircraft into this community. It takes about 20 minutes or so, half an hour, to get from our main base to this community. But the difference an an aircraft makes in the developing world is that that journey time is cut from four days to ten minutes. You can imagine the difference that makes to the people there in that community. Small aircraft making a difference, showing the love of God to a hurting world. But another reason we share this portion of scripture is, to, is, is a word called partnership. And that's why it's so special to be here today partnering with you as a church. Because MAF is about partnership. MAF is about working with other organisations to facilitate the work that they do. Last year we flew over 2,000 different organisations from Tear Fund, Christian Aid, World Vision, Save the Children, any organisation that you can imagine that works in the developing world. Um, every, every two years, Comic Relief do a fundraising day, Red Nose Day. I can imagine, I'm now seeing everyone sitting here wearing their red noses. Move on from the red noses. Uh, but every two, two years they do a fundraising day. But within those two years, there's an awful lot of work that Comic Relief actually do in the developing world running orphanages, running mother and health clinics, doing amazing work in the developing world. And MAF are there to support that work, to enable them to get to where they need to go to, to support those orphanages, to support those mother and baby clinics that they actually do. So MAF last year flew over 2,000 different organisations around the world. There's a partnership in the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't know if you've ever thought of what partnership it is or come across it, but the partnership is between the Samaritan and the donkey. And people, bless their hearts, sometimes come to MAF and say, you know, you guys are really good Samaritans and they're so kind of them, but we're not. We're the donkey. Please don't call us donkeys. (laughs) Someone comes up to me afterwards and says, hi, donkey. But you see, it's the donkey that brings the Good Samaritan to the man that needs the help, hope and healing. And that is the role of MAF, to work with others to bring the Good Samaritans to the people that need that help, hope and healing. People like Gerhard, 
Gerhard and his wife Brigitte Stam um, work in Papua New Guinea. They have been in working in Papua New Guinea as missionaries for 20 plus years. A few years ago, they were at the base of uh, their mission base uh, at the bottom of some, uh, a mountain range in Papua New Guinea. About a year before that, when they were serving there, they were about to take over from a, a, a missionary gentleman that had been there for about 40 years. One night, Gerhard was standing outside of the mission house with this gentleman, and he looked up at this mountain range, and he said to this chap, he said, does anybody actually live up there? And this man said, I've been here 40 years, and no one lives up there. There's just animals, birds, trees. No one lives up there. About a year later, Gerhard, the man had moved on. Gerhard was standing in that same spot during the day, looking up at the mountains, when out of the bushes came two Stone Age-looking men. This was a few years ago. And with the help of his translator who was with him at the time, he turned to these men and he said to them, where have you come from? And they turned to the mountains and they said, we've come from up there. They're part of the Bikaru tribe. Bikaru tribe, they were a tribe that had not really been reached um, previously. This was a few years ago. They were a tribe that had diminished to about 120 when Gerhard and Brigitte started reaching out to them. They diminished to 120 because of uh, various superstitious practices and tribal fighting between other tribes. They invited Gerhard to go back with them and he struggled to get back to where, up in the mountains where they were. It took something like five days to get there. But when he got there, he saw a group of people in desperate need to hear the good news of Jesus. He saw a group of people that lived in huts on stilts. And at night, this village was lit up, literally lit up, because they would light, put little lamps underneath their homes to light the village up. Now, you may think that's a good thing. The reason they'd done that was because they believed that the evil spirits came out at night. And they believed that the only way to get rid of evil spirits was by lighting up underneath their homes. Gerhard and Brigitte came to us and said, can you help us get to these people? We can't do that five-day, four, five-day walk every time. We can't get supplies there. We can't get Bibles there. We can't do anything to help them. We were able to fly them uh, to within an hour's walk of where the village is. That flight took something like half an hour. And now we regularly support Gerhard and Brigitte as they are working amongst these people. You know, if you visit that village now, at night, half of that village is in darkness. The reason it's in darkness is because half of the villagers have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Brigitte led one lady to, to the Lord Jesus only fairly recently. The lady came to her and said she couldn't sleep at night. She had no peace 
at night because all she could see when she closed her eyes were the faces of the women from other tribes she had killed. And at that point, Brigitte led her to the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that point on, she slept every single night. That's the sort of work that is happening around the world. Even today, there are tribes that are being reached for the gospel. And then there's other, other work that MAF do, changing, working with partners, changing people's lives. Peter is a really special little young boy in MAF. Peter was five years of age when this picture was taken. Peter lived at the time in Sudan, which is now South Sudan, but Sudan at the time. Peter was born into a dark world, literally. He was born into a dark world because of the fighting that had gone on in Sudan. His father had been murdered when Peter was two years of age through rebels that came through their community. He remained living there with his mother. But he was also born into a dark world because he was born with congenital cataracts. So even though his friends would play football with balls that are made out of branches and twigs, Peter couldn't because he had congenital cataracts. And one day he would have heard the sound of an aircraft visiting the community. And the aircraft had on board a team from Christian Blind Mission who were there to do eye safaris for a few days. Peter's mother took him to that team. They'd done two operations, one on each eye. A couple of days later, when Peter's mother went back, they took the bandages off and Peter could see for the first time in his young life. This was quite a while ago now. And uh, the pilot who flew that plane, that MAF plane in, remembers it well. If you've ever been to Africa or anywhere like that, you will know if you land on a plane, there's nobody around. Absolutely nobody. You land on a grass strip and there is no one there. As soon as the plane lands, the kids come from everywhere. You can't see them. They're hiding until they suddenly appear. And I said to the pilot, I said, do you remember Peter? He said, yeah, I remember Peter. I said, do you see Peter now? He said, you know, the first, the first child that's up at that plane is Peter. We believe that maybe God has got his hand on that young man. That one day he'll be flying that plane into that community. Making a difference, showing the love of God to a hurting world. That's what MAF are doing. But I want to come back to the scripture, if I may, because this is perhaps where I think God has got the challenge for us this morning. Because there's two other people involved in that parable of the Good Samaritan. The two other people are the priest and the Levite. And, you know, this is the challenge, because the priest and the Levite both done something that Certainly I've been guilty of in the past and maybe others have as well. The priest and the Levite walked on by. And you know, some people have come to me and said, ah, yes, but, but, the reason these guys walked on by was because they didn't see him. 
he'd, he'd been beaten up. He'd perhaps rolled off the side, you know, under the bushes. They didn't see him, so they walked on by. But if you read the scriptures, it doesn't leave that option open because it says, when they came and saw him, walked on by. And then other people, you know, have come to me and said, well, but, you know, to be fair, they could have seen him. They could have thought he was dead. He probably looked dead. They were religious people. If, he, if they had touched a dead person at that time, they'd have been defiled. They'd have had to have gone off and been cleansed. They couldn't continue with the work that they were meant to do. So they just walked on by. Sometimes it's easy to justify, isn't it, why we walk on by? Why we walk on by? In 1956, five young men, Roger Yudurian, Pete Fleming, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, and the MAF pilot, Nate Saint. Five young men in their 20s serving in Ecuador. Five young men who were called to reach out and share the gospel and share the love of Jesus with the Orca Indians. The Orca Indians at the time were a tribe of headhunters. They were about to be wiped out by the army in Ecuador because they were a problem, because they had never been reached by outside people, but they were intent on just tribally fighting. Um, The oil companies were considering pulling out of Ecuador because of the Orca Indians. Nate Saint, 24 years of age, the MAF pilot, serving at that time in Ecuador, felt God speak to him about reaching these people. And with his four colleagues, all serving in different missions at the time, with his four colleagues, they started to fly over and identify where the Oka Indians were. Having identified them, they then came up with a, a scheme called the Bucket Drop, which meant dropping gifts in a bucket and keeping the bucket by the aircraft flying round, keeping the bucket still, so they could drop the gifts to the Alka Indians to show that they were friendly. That exchange happened for a number of weeks. And then in January 1956, these five young men decided it was time to meet the Alka Indians. And they flew the little MAF plane and landed on a little sandbar by the river, close to where the community were. That first night, three members of the tribe came and spent the night with them. They couldn't communicate very well, they couldn't speak the language, but they stayed with them. They had, Nate had a little model aircraft that he showed them, and they played with this little model aircraft. They had fun with these three tribal members. When they woke in the morning, they had gone. A few days later, Nate was flying around the area and saw a group, a large group, of Alka Indians heading towards the beach. He got back, landed on the sandbar and radioed Marge, his wife, back at the base and said, Marge, I've seen them, they're coming. Today, we're going to have our first church service here on the beach. 
those five young men serving God, answering his call, were killed, martyred on that beach, speared to death by the Alka Indians. The story went on, and this is the story that will be shared by the Forefront Theatre Company in June when they come with reckless abandon. The story went on because Nate's sister Rachel and Jim's wife Betty Elliott went back to work amongst the people, the Alka Indians. Rachel stayed there 40 years working amongst these people because these five young men had given their lives in answering the call that God had put on their lives, they gave their lives, they opened up to the, uh, the outside world, to these Indians. And when Rachel and Betty went back, they accepted them. Nate Saint's son, Steve, who's a good friend of mine, lives in the States, was five years of age when he waved his father off for the last time. He also went and worked, after Rachel died, went and worked amongst the Indians. They're now called the Weardani, God followers. About 90% of that tribe are now God followers. They now go out sharing the gospel with other tribes. In their words, they are walking God's path. Steve Saint, when he was the uh, Nate's son, when he was 14 years of age, went and stayed with his aunt Rachel amongst the Alkas or the Weardani. He was baptised in the river where his father died by the man that threw the spear that killed his father. Grandfather, he calls him now. An amazing story of five young men who did not walk on by. Steve uh, Saint. Nate's son uh, has went and worked there. He took his family there to work amongst the people. He now has a mission that reaches out to indigenous tribes in Ecuador and around the world. But, you know, he says one thing when you talk to him about his experiences in life, and he's had other experiences. Uh, he's had other experiences. When Steve... Uh, not only did he, was he five years of age when his father was killed, um, b- martyred by the, the Alkas, um, when his daughter was 21 years of age, she went off backpacking for a year. She came back. The very night she came back, they held a party for her. Hadn't seen her for a year. They held a, a homecoming party for her. And that very night, she had a brain hemorrhage and died. Only two years ago, three years ago, after Steve uh, uh, left me here in the UK, went back to test a, a, a new prop on an aircraft, had an accident, and he's now a part paraplegic following the accident. But do you know what he says? He said, God wants to write your story. Good chapters and bad chapters. The question is, Are you prepared to allow him to write your story? And if you are, then it's time today to stop walking on by. And I think maybe the challenge, 
that God has for us today as we think about mission, as we think about the work of MAF, but also the bigger challenge is from this scripture is how many of us continue to walk on by what it is that God has for us. God wants to write our story. He wants to write my story. He wants to write your story. The question is, are you prepared to stop and follow him and allow him to write that story? Because, you see, it could be a big thing we could be walking on by. You mentioned Alpha. We run Alpha at my church, and I don't know if you have the same experience here, but the number of times we ask people to give out invites, and we say, have you given the invite to your neighbour yet? And they said, no, no, I'm just waiting to meet him on the drive. And we say, why not go and knock on the door? And maybe something that you feel for a while now, that God has been just knocking there. Maybe something small, maybe getting involved in something here, serving in ministry in some form on a team here in the church. And you come along every Sunday, every Sunday morning you come along, you think, I know what I'm going to do. That's been with me now. I'm going to speak to Simon and Keely at the end of the service about them and say, this is what I think God wants me to do. What do you think? And you know, have you ever noticed how pastors talk at the end of a service? And you think, I can't get them now. They're talking, they're talking. I know what I'll do. Do it next week. And next week never comes. And maybe you've been walking on by because God is challenging you about something bigger, about a a relationship issue. Or maybe there's a, a, a health issue that you need to speak to somebody about, but you're walking on by. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's serving in mission. But God's just put that thought there and it's been there for a long time. It's been there, been there, been there. Maybe today he's saying, it's time to stop. Don't walk on by anymore. Don't be like the priest and the Levite. Because God wants to write your story, but he needs you to stop and acknowledge that first. He needs you to say, I am here. I surrender to you. And then he will show you the way. And maybe tonight, this morning, told you I was going to go on two hours. Maybe this morning is a time for you to stop. To stop walking by. To stop as the good Samaritan did. To receive what God has for you. And to step out in faith to what he wants you to do. And allow him to write your story. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.